Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today, I have joining us Dustin Ruge. Dustin, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be here. So Dustin is working with a variety of entities right now and as a sales leader and leveraging his expertise, including law leaders. Um, Dustin, when you look back over your career, mm-hmm. which has been a great career, check out his LinkedIn profile and you can, and you can see what I saw and why we invited him to the podcast. Um, what are the three things that you think have really contributed to your success? Um, well, if I were to nail down three, uh, one would be, uh, being malleable within the marketplace. Uh, I didn't like most people, I didn't set out to, to be a salesperson or go into sales. It was, it was something that I discovered along the way and actually determined that I'd been involved with sales for a long time. So part of it was being open-minded. Uh, the second part of it was setting goals. Uh, most successful people I've ever worked with were always goal setters. Uh, they knew what they wanted and they would do anything to achieve it. Uh, and then the third part of it is just being persistent in what you do. Um, so if you're setting your goals, you know, don't give up on it. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you if you have to reset your goals over time, that's fine too. But really, you have to determine what you want out of life and be proactive instead of reactive. And unfortunately, there's too many people today, I find it, especially in the business world today, that are reactive in their life. And as a result of that, they tend to have more problems than accomplishments. And I think that's usually where you can track that back to where the source of the problem is. Yeah, I agree with that big time. Um, Let's dive into, you you didn't want to, you didn't start out wanting to be in sales. Tell me about that. (laughs) Well, you know what was funny? Uh, When I look back, I was actually in sales for a long time, like most people are. I just didn't realize it at the time. I, you know, when I first got started in sales, looking way back, I have to go back to my childhood um, and and just looking at things a little bit differently. And let me give you an example. You know, I grew up in the Midwest and and uh, a lot of my friends, including myself, had lawn services or mowed lawns, you know, when we were younger as children. And so one of the things I looked at it as, well, you know, okay, you know, if I go out, I got to do this different and do it better than everybody else is doing. So instead of uh, just mowing lawns and making very minimal amount of money, what I determined was where people actually made money in lawn services, which was uh, everything else but mowing the lawn, right? It's when everybody asks you to cut their trees or trim everything. And that's where you really make a lot of money. So we would go out and uh, I would go out and underbid every lawn service out there, build up the uh, service every year uh, to get a number of accounts. We would basically make money off of all the ancillaries. And then at the end of the year, when I would go away to school, I would sell the service accounts to somebody else. So I had two flows of income. So it, what one of the things I discovered a long time ago was <clears throat> I was really good at sales, at least insofar as understanding the mechanics of it and how to make that work. So it, it really started a long time ago. And every facet of things I'd done in my life uh, had a sales aspect to it. And I'm also an an avid reader and a writer. And one of the things I also discovered was when you look at the most accomplished sales or most accomplished people, especially in the technology world where I play in, almost all of them were phenomenal sales 
people, the Mark Cubans of the world, the founders of Google, you know, Sergi and, and all these guys, they were really, really good salespeople. And, and when you look at the core of what they do, they wouldn't be successful without those skills. Right, right. It, it's funny, I, I've been doing what I do for a very long time. And I started out, like a lot of people in my world, working with the, the big database platforms at the time, Oracle, and there were several that you, nobody's, unless you've been in the business, their names faded out a long time ago. But what separated Oracle and why Oracle is who they are today is Larry Elson's like the best salesperson out there. He yeah. knew how to sell and market. Whereas the other guys were really good at technology. They didn't know how to sell. They didn't know how to market. Yeah. And that's why Oracle is as, as big as they are. And the rest, nobody knows their name anymore. Exactly. Yep. It's a perfect example. And you see that over and over again, that yeah. really sales is everywhere. And the most successful people have it in spades as a skill. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And so let's shift into goals a little bit. Um, I'm a big believer in that as well. And, you know, from my perspective, goals, you have to put that stake in the ground. And with sales, especially, I mean, that's how we're measured, right? So what's your philosophy around goals, goal setting as a sales leader? Yep. So First off, the fundamentals of goals are the same in, in no matter what aspect or career you're in. I, I published five books and a number of them, almost every book I talk about goal setting as a, as a framework of success, because really you can't have one without the other. Um, the There are mechanics of goal setting as well. Um, and there's statistics that I don't have them in front of me. But the uh, for example, when you look at the most successful people in the world, they almost a common frame for them is they had a goal and they went out and achieved it. And some had verbal goals, some had written goals. The people that had the written goals were far and above, uh, surpassed anybody else in accomplishments and what they did. So when I look at that from a sales management perspective or any other uh, aspect of life, the first thing I teach people to do is when they set their goals is to write them down and just to look at them all the time. And let me give you a perfect example. When I wrote my first book, I'm not, I wasn't an author, right? I was speaking at a lot of conferences and things of that nature. And people kept asking me, Hey, do you have something to leave behind or things of that nature? And I, I, I liked writing, but I didn't know how to write a book. Well, the one thing I learned was of, you know, applied what I already knew, which was write out a title of a book. And then what I did is I placed it right on my computer. So it stared in front of me every day. And it was literally a goal screaming back at me. Okay, here's what you need to accomplish. Don't ignore this. You can't get away from it. But it's no different than the principles I teach salespeople anyways, which is if you have daily goals, I always tell them, write them on your computer and look at them every day so they're staring back at you. Because right now, and especially in the digital world, it's so easy to get distracted by everything that's going to take you away from that. I mean, there's literally addictions now uh, for younger children, or, you know, younger uh, workforce people around social media where they can literally lose track of time. You have to have goals pulling you back and you have to be have them staring back at you in place all the time in order for you to make sure that you're focused and then you're you know, driven to achieve them. No, I, uh, I love that because that, that's, I was going to almost tee up that way with my question, but I wanted to see where you go. And to me, that it's all about writing those down. Yeah. You don't have that stake in the ground, those <laughs> written goals and they're announced publicly. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Your chances of hitting that are slim. Right. Um, because and everything you hit it. Is, and even if you do hit it, what does it mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you you know, know, I often tell people psychologically uh, work your day on a whiteboard and cross off the things you complete. And then think about how you feel at the end of the day. Because I have a lot of people that 
yeah, I've worked with over the years where I met them and I'm like, they feel like they didn't accomplish anything when they actually did, but you have to remind yourself what you're trying to accomplish. And, and right. there's those micro goals that you have to do every day. And it's just, it's a fulfill, it's human nature of how we react to it. It really is. You have to have that sense of accomplishment and that you're moving forward. Um, it's very important. And that's the part where, you know, with, with the way that we like to do our goals here at Impeller is, um, you know, we have our, you know, we set our, our that long-term goal that we're putting out way in the future. But now what are we going to do to actually achieve that goal? We need to connect execution to those goals of how we're actually going to get there. How do you do that as a sales leader? How do you drive that execution on, you know, breaking it down to those micro goals, the things that you have to be doing every day to achieve that long-term goal? Well, that's that's what a great sales leader does, Chris, is is they're able to take that forward looking destination and walk that back. And the, ultimately what it does is you have to get back to habits and you have to get to the habits that are exercised every day. And for salespeople, it's really as simple as that. And one of the things I train salespeople on, especially through my books and, and when I work with them, is you have to know what those daily habits are that lead to that domino effect of you ultimately getting to your goal. They have to be defined. You have to know what they are and you have to scratch them off. And, and let me give you an example. Um, <clears throat> last time I was carrying a bag a long time ago, right? Um, there was a company I worked for, it was in technology and I knew I, I walked back everything I had to do from a core KPI perspective every day in order to get to my objective. I, so I knew I wanted to make, you know, this amount of money in this, this objective presence club, everything. So when I walked that back, I, I filled out a daily, uh, checklist. And what I did was every day I would print off or every month I would print off 30, put them on the end of my desk. And people would often ask me when I went through training, whatever, how many hours in a day do you work? And I go, I don't know. All I know is I have my goals every day and they have to be checked off. That thing has to go into the trash before my day ends. And some days it ended early at two or three o'clock. Some days it didn't end till one o'clock in the morning. But either way, it was driven around those goals and objectives, around those numbers that I knew I had to achieve in order to get to that level of success. That's what it's all about. And, you know, that... I think that's a big struggle for a lot of leaders is making that connection between the goals that were established and, and that execution that's driving those. KPIs, I think, is a big part of that, right? Where you need to understand your business well enough to know what are those numbers that really are driving things? Like, what are those leading indicators that I know if I'm, if I'm hitting those, my lagging indicators, those numbers are going to be achieved. How do you like when you're working with your clients, how do you help them establish those numbers and figure out what are those numbers and, and connect these all these different components together? Yeah, and it, it really, uh, it, you have to break it down individually by each organization, what they're doing. The easiest way to do that commonly is by dissecting their most successful people and then trying to determine what are they doing. Now, every organization tries to do that, right? They try to amoeba their 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 top performing people. Um, I Surprisingly, industry by industry, et cetera, I've always found kind of similar commonalities amongst all of them, um, but they all have different ways of executing and doing. So what I try to do is first off, understand what does success look like now and how are they doing it? Is it replicable? Is it scalable, right? Can you create a process out of what they're doing? And then what I do at that point is I document those processes down and then refine them, excuse me, um, so that there's something that we can walk it all the way back to literally daily exercises of what they're doing. And, and one of the fundamental differences, Chris, when it comes to goal setting that I think a lot of people forget is 
Most salespeople will will work to the expectations that they're hired to do. And that's what not what successful salespeople do. So for example, if somebody's given a quota, every year you'll hear salespeople say, well, here's what I need to do to get to my quota. The most successful people I've ever worked with in my life were the people that said, I don't care what my quota is. In fact, many of them didn't even know. What they did know was the number they wanted to get to and then how to break that those numbers down to get back to that number. So what I help them do is a lot of salespeople are not as organized and, and methodical to do this. So that's where a good sales leader can come in is to say, okay, let me break this down into a process, numbers, sequences, so that we can ultimately determine what this is and then how to apply this to other individuals um, that Otherwise, you know, most of this sits in people's heads. You need to get it on papers. It's it's kind of the e-myth, you know, type methodology. I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in processes, scalable solutions, and then making them malleable enough where you're not micromanaging, but rather you're macromanaging your, your salespeople into success. Looking back at the young version of Dustin just getting started in sales, how did you develop this methodology? You know, did you have a mentor or, you know, how'd this all come about? <laughs> I had mentors, but these were things I just developed myself uh, so that I could get better at what I was doing. Uh, maybe it was just the way I was wired. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, but uh, it, it was something that I found. Um, I'm a big believer in scale process. I, I keep repeating myself and my apologies on that one. But it, it, there's a reason why I keep repeating that is, is you know, when I worked with companies and the whole reason why I got into sales leadership to begin with was how can I scale what I know, what I can do and multiply that in a way where I'm more effective with people under me than me individually. And that's one of the biggest differences between salespeople and sales leaders are sales leaders are the ones who can create and dynamically grow and scale, whereas sales performers are people that are really good at doing that themselves. And more often than not, where companies make mistakes are they take their top performing salesperson who has different qualities, putting them in that sales leadership role and thinking they can do that when in reality, many of them don't. And that's, that's where the companies fail. Yeah. How do you identify those people that have, you know, what, what's your radar setting to yeah. identify those people that can make that transition into leadership? Because it is, it's a totally different paradigm from being a performer. It's very hard to do. And that's my first book that I published called The Successful Sales Manager documented exactly that process of how do I look for sales leaders as opposed to sales people? Um, what are the qualifications? What are the characteristics? What are the questions I ask? What do I look for? All of that I document in the book. Uh, in order to help them. Because again, that was a perfect example, right? A lot of the people in the company were saying, how are you getting so good at hiring these people? Well, the reality is I had a process for that and I developed it and I, I you know, changed it over the years and made it better. But um, there is a defining uh, characteristic around that. And this is where most companies fail to understand that is they have senior executive leadership that looks at high-performing salespeople and think that translates to high-performing leadership. More often than not, unfortunately, it doesn't. And that's where they fail. So so sales leaders are certain character traits that are similar but different. And I document those in my book, not to try to promote no, my book. I do plug away. I, That's I, why people are listening, right? Plug away. Exactly. Exactly. But I did I did document this in the book and keep it very simple so that if you're trying to find good sales leaders, what are those people and how do you find them? Yeah. No, I think that's such a huge part of being a sales leader um, is being able to build that pyramid of leadership behind you that you know, you can't do it all yourself. You have to have people that, you know, you build a team and, and that can, can execute and, uh, and help people achieve, you know, right. 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 Exactly. Um, what do you like to do or how do you, 
help people transition from salesperson into sales leader? A lot of it has to do with mentoring. Uh, first off, you have to show them what to do. Unfortunately, the biggest problem with sales leadership is that most people don't get a degree in it. They don't have experience with it. Uh, there's no roadmap for it generally. That's, again, why I wrote my first book, because uh, ultimately, the the best sales leaders, if, if you hire the right person who has the right characteristics, they need to be mentored by the right people as well. And they have to know what those differences are and, and how to do things. So a lot of it has to be with taking the under the wings, having the follow processes, how to manage people, all of these things they've never been trained on. They didn't get degrees on it. So really mentoring is critical um, when it comes to not only training, but mentoring is critical because you can train them all day. But as we know, the retention level, uh, most training is condensed and it is it is very little. And really sales leadership is something that is a, is a journey, not a destination. Right. Do you think most sales training programs out there are helpful or do you think they're fluff? I think they're all good and they're all fluff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and the reason why I say that is I have some methodologies I really like in certain industries, right. uh, and and I don't I don't know if we're supposed to be talking about them by name. Uh, there's certain ones, for example, like in the enterprise sales world that I do adhere to. But what I do is I create hybrids of those models to apply to the companies that they're that we're using them for. Um, and then you also notice that there's been a, a, an evolution of methodologies, but a lot of times it's an evolution of, in many re respects, the same type of things. Right. Uh, and one of the concerns I've had over the years, uh, not to disparage any of these companies because they're all really fantastic, is a number of them have their own goals, right, of what they want to sell and how they want to do it. And sometimes it can go too far where it's like, you know, you have to sign up for this and all these expenses when the reality is the fundamentals of what they train are not hard to understand. Many times you can grab it out of a book. But as a sales leader, what you need to do is, again, it's just like in normal sales. Uh, sales is in the follow up, right? So you can train them all day on any methodology you want. But the reality is, how do you apply that to the processes, procedures and your leadership skills? That's really where sales training becomes successful is not the implementation of the training, but rather the follow-up. Uh, you know, it's, as you're listening to you, I'm like, man, there's so many parallels to my world um, because we get asked all the time, like, oh, we need a new CRM. What's the best one out there? <laughs> and it's, it depends, you know, and, and there is no silver bullet. There's no, you know, magic button that we can press to say, here's your perfect CRM. Because honestly, most people spend more time focused on the technology than what's wrapped around the technology. That's what's really important. It's about people, processes, and data and connecting this stuff. And, and that's what's really important. And right. what's really going to determine your, your, your outcome. And so I, just I, listening to you, I was just like, man. Well, I agree. Much and like mine. And CRM is is a whole nother bucket. It's uh, I you know I'm old enough to remember the days when there were only one or two major players in the CRM right. space, and we all know who they were. And and they were very uh, hard to work with. They were terrible systems, in my opinion. Yeah. And they were implemented largely not based upon productivity and integration, but rather by reporting and, and senior executive oversight. And because of that, it was a top down rollout of these yeah. technologies and systems that nobody liked. Right. Uh, even today, a lot of salespeople are reticent around these these tools. The good news is the newer tools that are out there are actually developed by largely salespeople. 
Uh, they're integrated, which is the key, uh, especially with digital marketing. Now, one of the things that I do when I do CRM rollouts and organizations are it's not just one system, but it's a number of different tech stack working together right. that ultimately when you present it that way, that is a productivity gainer for the salespeople. Yeah. They want to use it because yeah. if they don't, they end up losing out. It's not just a reporting up tool anymore, but an integrated solution suite for them to be successful. And that is where companies really can be successful is if they roll out these types of tech stack suites correctly. If they do it correctly, then you can use multiple systems they can be successful. If you don't and follow the old top-down methodology, you're right. going to continue to have the problems that, that everybody's had for a long time with CRM. Right. Let's transition back a little bit to the sales side of things in terms of the top-down approach to selling that, you know, what's your perspective on, you know, in terms of, I want to build out our sales organization and our sales process. Does top-down approach work? Uh, give me an example. Uh, like, for example, I mean, I'm no longer in the front line. I'm kind of disconnected from the day-to-day -day of what's really going on and, and of really trying to sell within our organization. Right. Who should be making those decisions around developing our sales process? Or how, what's right. our, how should I be going about doing that as a sales leader? Okay. Because I am not necessarily on the front lines anymore. Yep, it's a great question. So the first thing, and, and this is kind of a macro answer to that question, is a good sales organization or a bad one is defined by ultimately its leadership. They are the shadow of their leadership. I've seen great sales organizations that bring in toxic cultural people and destroy it. And I've seen the opposite. I've seen really impactful salespeople come in and, or I'm sorry, sales leaders come in and then they shadow that throughout their organization. So if I was an organization right now where I'm trying to build a top flight sales organization, you always start with the leadership first because you really have to set that tone for the organization, how they're going to interoperate. Now, the good news is there are salespeople that can be successful despite uh, good or bad leadership, which is ultimately what you want to hire as well. I often tell people when you get into sales leadership, you're going to become, if you're successful, you're going to become a very, very good sales recruiter. And if they don't understand that now, they need to understand that you're building a team. And if you think about any coach in any sport, the most important thing they do is they draft and they build teams and they put them together. And they were, this is exactly what you need to do as well. Not that's one of the things I often tell salespeople that move into these roles. I'm like, you have to be really good at doing this because ultimately over time, really great sales leaders not only know how to identify really top flight salespeople, but in many cases, like myself and others, they have a book of people that they can pick up and call at any one time who are the top people they've ever worked with. They know who they are. And then, you know, there's an old saying I like to use, which is, you know, birds of a feather when it comes to successful salespeople, they often attract their own kind, right? If you bring in a really good salesperson, they like your culture, they like your leadership, they like the money they're making. Right. Then they're going to be referring other people like just like them coming into your organization. All of a sudden, you're going to have a very high performance sales organization very fast. That's interesting. That's really interesting that um, you took that answer in a direction I wasn't really anticipating, but that's very insightful. And I mean, anyone who plays sports or has played sports and understand that it's there's a good analogy there. Like, hey, you can have a great coach that is awesome tactician and knows the sport inside and out. But if they can't recruit and build a good team to execute, again, it always comes back to execution, right? Right. It, it doesn't matter if you're brilliant in understanding the sport if you can't build a team to execute. 
Well, I often told people that um, one of my first Christmas gifts, I names on my list of every gift I had was always to my top recruiters Oh yeah. <laughs> because they are so critical to your success when you're working, yeah. either if you're sourcing a, or hopefully you're working with a really good recruiter outside. Right. I mean, I think Tom Brady, Tom Brady did a huge amount of recruiting to bring in yeah. people he knew were going to be good performers and complement what he was doing. Yep. That's, why, that's why he was so successful. I have not met one successful sales leader that has not been able to execute on that correctly. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, if, if I'm a sales leader, like I'm just young, I'm getting out in there. How do I build that network or what are some of the ways I can develop those recruiting skills? Yeah. So the first thing is hopefully uh, I'm a big believer in outside recruiting, not because I am one, I'm not, um, but I, I I think a lot of companies fail where they use internal recruiters for sourcing and they do a very poor job of that. Um, first off, you should identify not only good salespeople, but also really, really good sales recruiters. You need to know who they are because they're the ones networked with all these people that you want to ultimately hire. So the first thing you should do is go out and start asking around who are the top sales recruiters, not companies, but the people, because they often move from company to company or they have their own, their own systems or, or companies now. The first thing is start identifying who they are. Uh, so you can build your networks of people that are going to be able to recruit for you. Networking is also the other key. And it, this applies to any aspect in business, which is if you find successful people, one of the things I, I love to do when I go to trade shows um, within different businesses or whatever is, you know, there's an old saying, which keep your enemies close and you know, things of that nature. But what I do is instead of being adversarial to people in the same industry, I'll actually go up and, and talk to people and say, who are your top salespeople in your company? And I'll make notes of it and I'll make connections with them right away on LinkedIn, or I'll just introduce myself. I'll stay in touch with them. I might not be hiring them for months or even years, right. but over time I'm building a bench. Of, of who are the top people in this industry? Who are they? How do I get in touch with them? And oftentimes they're right in front of you. And if you just look at where they are and what they're doing, they're they're often surprised when I would walk up and say, aren't you with this company you're helping? I'm like, yep, I'm just trying to meet the top people out there. And by the time I have openings, I will have benches of people ready to go. They already know who I am, which is also part of the sales process. And yeah. then it makes it very easy to become very successful fast. Uh, but again, that goes back to that recruiting aspect of you're always recruiting all the time uh, in sales, even especially when you don't have openings, because hopefully over time you're working for a company that's growing and you will have those openings and then you'll have great people to fill them right away. Yeah, that's the key is the right away part that if you don't have that bench, that that library, that roll it, I, well, no one has a Rolodex anymore, but you don't <laughs> have that list of of these are the people I'm going to call. Um, it's you're you're struggling. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to have that list. Yep. Um, what are the things that, you know, when you come into an organization, begin working with them, what are those things you're looking at for the first 90 days that you're working with them? Well, first off, what you said is critical, which is looking, right? The first thing I learned a long time ago from mentors are, especially within the first 30, 60, 90 days, don't make any major changes. Um, because one is, you have to immerse yourself in the company, the culture, all the dynamics of what's going on there. I've seen so many people make mistakes where they come in quick and make fast decisions and they blow things up. They just didn't understand where things were and what they're doing. So the first thing I do is when I come into organizations is I ask a flurry of questions. I'm getting to understand everything. I'm spending time with their top performers. I'm trying to understand why didn't people, why weren't people successful? Not 
who left, but why did they leave, you know, and things of that nature. So I'm looking at core KPIs. I'm looking at coverage ratios. I'm looking at pipelines. I'm looking at all the numbers so that I can build that equation that you were talking about earlier, Chris, which is what does success look like for this company? And oftentimes companies don't really understand what those numbers are. And if they have ineffective sales leadership, they don't know how to take that pulse. And, and when you come in, you can do that very quickly. I, I can look at, for example, coverage ratios and see immediately, is this company healthy or not? Do they have the right amount of pipeline to be able to produce what they're doing? What are their close ratios? All part of that in those in those things. What are their turnover rates? You know, what are the growth targets? It's not hard to do the math. Yeah, you know, I studied finance when I was in college. And, and you know, it's the one time where I'm using numbers all the time is because ultimately you manage what you can measure, right? And, right? and that's what I'm doing when I come into the organizations, asking a lot of questions, I'm building out the numbers and I'm trying to define what success looks like so that they ultimately know how to, how to uh, execute on that. And it is a process and you have to be methodical, but you also have to be patient because there's a lot of things that you might not uncover initially uh, that if you make the wrong decision, you're going to uncover the wrong way. I love what you said, what success looks like, because I'm shocked when I ask that question at our clients. They don't have an answer. It's right. deer in the headlights look that you're getting back at you. Do you experience that a lot? Uh, yes. And sadly, at, at the wrong levels in many cases. So right. and right. that's OK. I mean, a lot of senior executives that don't have sales experience don't know these things. Um, and you have to have uncomfortable conversations with them. Um, it, oftentimes, part of that culture that I was talking about, mm -hmm. that's why it's so critical, because you have to have an open door policy, not only figuratively, but literally with people. Because if you're working in an environment, uh, and we all know what this is, everybody's had a bad leader or a bad executive or something, you can see that right away. And those are the environments I stay away from now, because immediately I know no matter what I tell them, it's not going to matter if they're not willing to listen and make those changes that are going to course correct. And, and even if I tell them what success is, is that what they want to hear? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so part of that is setting those expectations in advance. And that's why I often tell people one of the most important things that you can do if you get into sales leadership, make sure you're, you're going to be working for people you really, really respect and look up to and make sure that the leaders that they're reporting to are all the same. Because if you have toxic in any part of that chain, it's going to precipitate down. Your life's going to be miserable. Yeah, that's so true. My dad always told me, um, always be the third person in when there's major changes that need to be made. Because the first <laughs> person, they're not going to listen to. Second person, you know, it's going to fail just because they're not ready to make the changes. Because usually they're big changes. And so they'll get so far, but they're going to fail. But the third person, they've been through enough pain now where they're like, hey, it's time now. We really have to commit to this and, and see it through. That's great advice. Uh, great yeah. advice. And how many how many companies can suffer through that though? <laughs> oh no, that's the hard part, right? <laughs> right. And uh, like, hopefully they're still around for the third person. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's shift back to CRM. Do you love it or do you hate it? Um, I like it when it's done correctly. Um, and the reason why is I look at CRM as a productivity tool. And if it's not productive to the sales organization first, it shouldn't be in place at all. Amen. Uh, and and that's really how I look at it. And I know we talked about this before a moment ago, but you know, there's certain things that I look at through there. The good news is there's so many, there's a few in particular, I won't name them. We all kind of know who they are, but there's a few that if 
implemented correctly, if mapped correctly into sales processes and integrated into the, into the marketing and the recording capabilities that are out there. There's some great vendors. So there's a lot of tech stack that I bring into organization time when I work with them. And it's it's across the board. And salespeople will oftentimes look at this and say, I can't believe I did things without this. And that's what you want them to be able to say. When, there's, when you have to stay on top of them to say, are you updating your CRM system? It's the first and final indication that you made a bad deployment of your sales or your CRM system. And it really comes down to that. I often tell people, if your salespeople hate your CRM system, it's the system's fault, not salespeople and stop writing them about it because yeah. haven't implemented it correctly. No, hundred percent agree. And, and it, it's it, when people come to us and say, Hey, I need a, I need a new CRM. I, my first question is why, right. you know, what, what are you, what problems are you seeking to solve? What are you trying to achieve? And if like, oh, I need it to fix my sales process, I'm like, CRM is not going to do that. I've right. yet to see technology that can fix bad process. You know, you've got to fix the process first. And, and if you're not doing that, if you're not taking that perspective, the technology is a tool. And if yep. you're not using the tool correctly, it doesn't matter what else is going on. It's not, it's not going to help your business. And, and so if, those, if that's, the, you know, if they're coming to me like that, I'm like, hey, we need to shift perspective here. And change our perspective to be, you know, how are we going to leverage this tool to create alignment towards our goals that we're trying to execute on, you know, and, and without that alignment and enable, it's, it's a tool that's enabling the sales team. Um, it's making it easier for them to do what they need to do to find prospects and really tone in on their ICPs. That's what it's there for. If it's about, Hey, I need to know what my sales team is doing. There's other ways to do that, but let's not burden the sales team with something that it, it's it's becomes an anchor they're dragging behind them. That drives me crazy. Hundred percent. And and the worst thing about CRM is, it the larger the organization, the stickier the system becomes. So once yeah. it's launched, yeah. the first question you're going to get is, "Hey, we spend millions putting this in. Yeah. We're never going to change this." And and they keep digging a hole. Yeah. And so you have to be careful when you come into those organizations to know what's there and yeah. why it's there, because in oftentimes you can't move that, that no. tank. No, you're, you, you're looking at least three years before you can even start talking about it again. Right. And uh, that's a long time to suffer with a poorly right. implemented CRM. Right. And the funny thing about it is all these capabilities, these tools I'm talking about are integrating or are, are innovating around these, these legacy tools. Yeah. And what they're finding is more and more of the salespeople are now using these tech stacks on their own yeah. outside of the environment, which defeats the whole purpose of having yeah. that single central client customer record. So yeah. companies are are hurting themselves by not innovating around this. No, it really is. And it it is, it's part of the ecosystem. You know, CRM, I, we always, I preach like CRM should be your central hub for your business. Everything is connecting through CRM because it's about the customer. Right. And, and so anything that's touching customer, it needs to drive through CRM. And, uh, um, and then if you do that, you're able to extend it, not just for sales and marketing, but now I can extend it through the rest of the organization around all our core processes. All those times we're touching customer, that should all be driven through CRM. And CRM really becomes an incredible platform to drive that execution around strategic goals. Um, it, it's, you know, what's your experience around supporting customer success or customer delivery, all those things that need to happen once the, the deal is won using CRM? Do you have any advice for people around that? 
Well, I've seen multitude of different ways of doing this uh, in and out of CRM. There's other systems that are client management fulfillment. It really kind of depends on the industry. Right. It's not really my expertise uh, okay. from the client success manager side. I usually let the account management teams handle those types of capabilities. Yep. Um, however, the one thing I do reinforce through the technology is there should not be separation between the two. Similar to marketing and sales, there's historically been a separation of firewall uh, where you can break those down really well now if, yep. if you have an integrated technology suite. Same thing with a client a customer management. So it has more to do, back to your point earlier, Chris, uh, it has more to do with process than the technology. And yep. if you put the process in place correctly, which is unique to each company to some degree, the technology should be able to support. If it doesn't, you pick the wrong technology. Yeah, I didn't ask that question very well. Really, what I was talking about is the handoff between sales and delivery. Ah. A lot of times that's a pain point for organizations. Yeah. yeah. That's really where, and you answered, you actually answered my question. I just did a crappy, I answered it very, or I asked it very <laughs> no, poorly. Um, but that is, to me, that you have to have that as part of your plan, as part of your tech stack is the sales team is selling, but we have to deliver, right? And so you got to manage that handoff. Right. And the only thing I would add to that, it, it, now that you further refined the question is, I've worked with organizations where that's almost a complete handoff, and I've worked with others where it was almost no handoff. The complete handoff is the easiest way to kill your company very fast because salespeople in the end, especially in the enterprise world, they sell themselves first. They create that relationship. And this, somehow companies seem to think they can control costs by handing those relationships off to lower cost individuals. It never works. Ultimately, over time, it ends up killing your business. Your salespeople have to be integral into the strategy of those clients, depending upon the industry. But mostly that that hard handoff where goodbye is yeah. usually the easiest way. That's the first red flag I've ever seen when I walk into a company as far as how is your transition between your sales and account management. If it's a hard handoff, I know immediately there's a problem. Yeah, I agree with that. That That's a, another key component of CRM is me as a salesperson, because I am doing all that work to build that relationship. I want to know how what how the execution on delivery is happening. Are there any issues? Is there anything that's going to blindside me when I reach out to them again? Because I want to continue to sell to them. Right. Um, and I there's need to so know what's going on. There's so much downstream, but more importantly, the leveraging of their contacts and relationships yeah. and, and other for yeah. If you lose control over that, you're you're really cutting your face off or your nose off to spite your face. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe I couldn't agree more. We're at our time here on Sales Lead Dog. Uh, Dustin, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. People want to reach out. They want to learn more about what you do and how you can help them. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so uh, I've got a website. It's DustinRugi.com. Uh, they can go to my website. Uh, they can send me an email directly. My personal email is my first name, dot last name. So Dustin.Rugi at gmail.com. Uh, or just go to my website or send me a LinkedIn request. Uh, I'm on pretty active on LinkedIn through my networks and uh, be happy to uh, connect with anybody that needs help. Awesome. If you didn't catch any of that, that's okay. We have it all in our show notes. You can get that at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog, where you'll find not only this episode, but all the episodes, 100 plus now of sales lead dog. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Be sure to check out Dustin and also check out his books. Um, I think that'd be awesome. Uh, Dustin, again, thank you for coming on Sales Lead Dog and welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Pack. Very good. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.